Well, at least we're consistent. Yes, I actually really need that coffee. We're consistent. We had the Sadducees and we had the Pharisees in the interpretation of the Lord's Prayer this morning. I promise you that was not Matthew Sykes back there with the uh, digital delay on the, on the Midas console. So welcome to week one of at least two weeks of spiritual maturity. So how many of my 80s people are in the house? Give me, give me a show of hands. How many 80s people are in the house? All right, so in the 80s, they had like the greatest television. It was like the greatest era. They had, and I know if you come from the roots base or whatever, you know, Smurfs are evil, everything's evil, everything is pagan, everything is cool when you're part of a team. But reading Rainbow, if you took a look, it was in the book, it was reading Rainbow. And so this week, I was going through just trying to figure out, you know, what, what graphic to do for spiritual maturity. And, uh, you know, they have the plants that grow and the different stages of the plants and all those different things. And it's like, ah, that's all been done before. And so I just kept, to be spiritually mature, I'm going to give you the whole entire lesson in one line. You know, last week, Brian Serrano said, if you leave with just one thing from this message, here's what I want you to leave with. Uh, that, that good old classic one thing. Well, if you take a look in the book, you'll have spiritual maturity. That easy. So I don't need to teach anything else. We can go to table fellowship. All is said and done. Um, but you're stuck with me for at least 20 minutes. And anybody who knows me, probably closer to 45. So um, church hurt. We're just going to dive in, pull the Band-Aid off this week. Church hurt. Church hurt is never talked about enough. However, every person who has ever attended a community I don't care what denomination it is, for what period of time you have experienced some form of church hurt. Cam's got this really cool like graphic tee that says church hurt, and then it lists like all kinds of things in the back. Church hurt. You're, if you attend a church long enough, you're going to experience hurt. If you attend a church for a really long period of time, which is really unusual now, days, just like staying with a company until you retire is unusual. If you stay with the church for any period of time, you will probably be hurt by almost every person who attends that church. The leadership of the church is also not void of that. Yet the Bible, two weeks ago, we looked at the confession of faith. The Bible says that we need community. The Bible says that in order to walk out the constitution, the commandments of God, it we need to do that in community with other people. So in order for us to walk out the commandments in community, that means by default that we are going to experience church hurt. So according to gravity leadership, there's four main reasons why people are leaving churches. And we're going to go through those as the semi-truck drives by shaking the whole entire building. Punishment over questions and doubts. Some people call this deconstructing their faith. That's a really popular term nowadays is we're deconstructing our faith. And um, again, most of the time, like anything in our culture right now, we end up with two extremes. Well, the people are deconstructing their faith. They're just, you know, they're walking away from God. It's all those young people who don't know anything. And then the other one's like, well, all the people who just follow religious blind, they don't know. They should deconstruct their faith. 
Spiritual maturity leads us to a place where we can understand where people are at and we can meet them there. Oh, wait, that's exactly what our Messiah did. Is he understood where people were at and he met them there. So that way he could minister to them at that point. Number two, failure to do justice or show love to those who are different. Man, this is a, this is a hot button topic all over the place. Has been since COVID in 2020. Social justice, politics, economic status, organizational alliances. The, the church, you know, people feel like somehow the church has like got to be involved in all of those things. Well, again, this is not new. It's it, Black Lives Matter and, and all of these other things that are happening. This isn't new. These same type of political alliances were happening in the first century when we see all of the Pharisees aligning with the Roman leadership and the government that was there. Part of the issue of Yeshua turning over the tables in the temple was because they were taxing people and trying to make a political economic thing out of what he commanded his people to do. But why was that in place? Why? Because that was the hot button political topic of the day in Rome was let's tax everybody. Caesar's in control of everything. Not new. Spiritual abuse and religious trauma. This is something that is also not talked about a lot inside churches. It's just not. Now it's becoming more common for people to talk about the abuse and some of the things that are there. But too often when people are searching for truths, when they're searching for spirituality, they are very easily manipulated by people in leadership. This is why Netflix, why Hulu, why all of these different docu-series have been created with various cult leaders. A charismatic man, a charismatic woman comes in, finds a whole bunch of people who are looking for spiritual truths. They're not really mature in their faith. They bring them in, they control them, and sooner or later, somebody dies. It's basically how it all goes. Whether it's in a plane in Nashville, in, in, in a lake, or it's on a hilltop, or it's Kool-Aid, or it's any of that, somebody ends up getting hurt when all is said and done. The other is that church, the church and the leadership has abandoned them in their sin and their shame. We talked about this two weeks ago in the See to It Yourself where we talked about confession and how a family of people who come together should walk not in shame like Adam and Eve did in the garden when they disobeyed God, but this should be an environment where you could come with the sins you've created, with the struggles you have. You could walk cooperatively and collectively with other people who you know also have issues and be restored and safe. And any of you who have ever gone and you've had a struggle in your life and you've gone to a religious leader or you've gone to a pastor, or you've gone to a shepherd or you've called, you know, TBN's hotline or whatever you've done, if they've, it's been met with, oh, well, you don't want to tell anybody about that. We, we, we want to cover this up. Like, wait a second, I came to you, I'm looking for freedom. I'm looking to be set free. I'm looking to experience God. And all you want me to do is you want to lock me back in more chains? You want to lock me down in my shame and my sin more? If you attend this church or any other church at any point in time in your life, you are going to experience church hurt. You're going to experience failed men, failed women, misplaced expectations, and yet 
our culture as a whole right now takes the misplaced expectations of human beings inside churches and inside communities, and then they use that to justify why they don't grow in their relationship with God. We're even a little bit different in our corner of Christianity because a lot of you in this room have spent 20 plus years studying Genesis to Revelation. You know Hebrew, you know Greek undertones, you know things that that many in a lot of other denominations, they don't know about God. And yet, how many of us can truly say that on a regular basis, we experience the power of God in our everyday life? I can tell you for many years, I didn't. I know throughout the years working with Ephraim, we would have conversations on a regular basis of like, why aren't we seeing these things? One of the last things he did uh, was to lay out a series of events on the fruit of the Spirit so that we could put the emphasis on actually seeing and experience God. And then the Bible says if we're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and we're experiencing that in our life and in our walk, we should see these things. The trees should bear this fruit. So as a church, as a whole, we should see that fruit on a regular basis. If we see it in here, which we've seen some some things I can't explain over the last couple of weeks. I can't explain how you pray for a a pregnancy and and a baby and the percentage of chances that that's going to be healed and, and eradicated and no even markers that, like, I can't explain that. I got no explanation. I got a lot of explanations for a lot of things, but I can't explain that with my own power. I can't explain how we can lay hands on a lady who has blood clots, who's been in pain for over a month, her, to the touch of her leg, it's throbbing with heat, and then all of a sudden in 24 hours that goes away. I can't explain that. That wasn't our power. I can't explain how, and Tanya and Brent are on the road this week, but I can't explain how Tanya gets drug over for prayer. She's such an introvert. She didn't even want to have the hands laid on. She's like, I don't want to ask. I don't. And yet last week they drag her over there, and all of a sudden at Pentecost, it's all gone. I can't explain those with my own power, my own knowledge. But the Bible says those are the fruits when the Spirit of God is manifesting itself inside your community. So if those things are happening here, that means that something is moving in the right direction, not for you or me to have accolades, or not for you or I to say that somehow we have more knowledge about God, but God is actually being allowed and moving in the midst of his people. And that is how you know you are on the right path. Many of us in this room have studied the Word of God for many, many years. And we've heard, well, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get down into the meat of the Word. The meat. I want the meat. I'm done with the milk. Done with the milk. I want the meat of the Word. Well, that's kind of like saying, well, I'm no longer a spiritual child. But if we've been walking in, in, in our faith with Jesus for 20 plus, 30 plus, some people in this room, it's 40 plus years. And yes, when you were a Baptist, you were walking with Jesus. Yes, when you were a Nazarene, you were walking with Jesus. You didn't just find Jesus because you became a Messianic or because you turned. You went away from Sunday church and came to Saturday church. Jesus is in all days church if you want him to be there. 
But 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. This is so that in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. The waves of emotion, the waves of theological anarchy, the waves of mental instability, the waves of worry, doubt, all of the antichrist fruit of the Spirit. See, I was talking with Trollin today, which, again, this is just how the Lord does it. We like to worry about our daily bread, but we don't normally think of it as our daily bread. It's, well, if today, if I can make seven weeks of my daily bread, then I will store up in my storehouse all that I need, and I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. And this is how our culture has, has told us to interact this is not new. This is the culture Jesus walked in. I could do all things through my strength, which strengthens me. The power in the spirit of Chris. At the end of the day, the power in the spirit of Chris, the power in the spirit of Cam, the power in the spirit of Matthew, the power in the spirit of any of them, they are going to die. They're going to be cast aside and they have a shelf limit. They have, they have a power limit. For my electrical friends in here who like to do that, they are a three amp. They will never be more than a three amp. They're not a 300 amp. They're not a grid. They're a tiny little power that sooner or later, like a fuse, will blow out. We get tossed with the waves of our emotions. We get tossed in the anarchy of wrestling with the idols of ourselves. But the Bible says that if we were not getting tossed to and fro, we would be walking, not like children, but we'd be walking in maturity. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're doing in this community. Lord, as we continue to go through what your word says about walking in a way that would be upright and pleasing to you, Lord, I ask that you would just move in this place today, that we would lay down and cast down any of the cares or the burdens that we might have, Lord, that we would continue to search our own hearts, our own lives, and continuously try to become more like Jesus. For it's in Yeshua's name, amen and amen. So I got to ask you today, church, have you ever been punished for questioning or having doubts in church? Now, this is something I've heard a lot of. And I know not, not everybody has experienced this. Some people now, when we look at, at how long the roots based of Christianity has gone, some people actually have been punished for questioning inside roots based organizations, which is fairly ironic because one of the number one testimonies that you would hear from the first generation of people who started to keep the feasts and the festivals and seek after all of the ways of the Lord is that when they started to ask questions of their Baptist minister uh, their assemblies of God minister and those things, that they were made to feel uncomfortable because of the questions. And yet now we've kind of gone enough in the cycles of the Bible because everything is cyclical, where now they're starting to be the testimonies that people who grew up in the roots of the faith, the full Bible believers, were also basically run out by full Bible believing teachers for the same thing that happened to them 
And so the church hurt is cycling and cycling and cycling. But good news is, is through walking in spiritual maturity, we can break cycles in our lives. The goal of any church should be to help point you towards the scriptures. I know a lot of times, you know, over the last couple of months in this new season for my wife and I, a lot of times people are going through things and they want to call and they want to ask questions and they got all kinds of questions. And they just want a real quick solution to whatever the question is, whether it's a theological question, whether it's a question about finances, whether it's a question about how to observe or keep or memorialize or whatever. A healthy, spiritually mature church is made up of people who always try to point you back to the Word of God. Because, like I've said from this very pulpit, I might get nine out of ten things right, but that one time I fail you, if I didn't fail you by pointing you to this scripture where God will never fail you, then at least in my failures, God is still leading. So any church, when, when you're asking questions, when you're, when you're having doubts about your faith, this is the place you should be able to do that. This is the place you should be able to look at the word of God and say, I don't understand what this says, or I don't think that that's what God is trying to say here. Can we dialogue about this? When you push people out of the church for questioning and doubting, where are they going to go to get the answers? The world. And we wonder why people are walking away from the church. We wonder why people are, are questioning their faith, why they're struggling in the relationship with God. Well, when you start to go sit down at a coffee house and talk to some random stranger about your faith in God and what's going on in the scriptures, and you end up talking to an atheist, or you end up talking to somebody who is just, you know, walking in Kabbalah or whatever these mystical things are that are out there, there's all these higher powers out there. Yeah, we create gods every single day. The church is a place where you should be able to ask questions. Matthew 7, 7 through 12 says, ask and it will be given to you. Not ask, and you will be kicked out. Seek, and you will find. Sit down and be quiet. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Don't knock, don't call, stay where you're at. For everyone who asks will receive. Don't ask, you don't want to receive. The one who seeks will find. I'm not looking for anything, so I don't need to seek for anything. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So, What kind of culture would you have in your relationships with others or in the church body if you can't ask, if you can't seek, if you can't knock? If the word of God says that by doing these things, he will find you, he will answer, he will grow you, then why do we create cultures where you're not allowed to do those things? This is the place you should be able to do those. Number two, the failure to do justice or love. The goal of any church should be to live, act, and handle all situations based upon the spiritual authority of the Bible. It's not the spiritual authority of myself. It's not the spiritual authority of of John Brevere's books. Man, I love John Brevere as an author, and he's got some great points in there. But the final authoritative word, the word that has lasted throughout centuries, throughout cultures, is the word of God. That should be the final authority. We had this conversation last night over dinner because I wrestle 
in the day and age where our churches have become an echo chamber for the, for the Republican or Democrat party. I wrestle when our churches have become echo chambers for purity cultures or anti-purity cultures or the, the extremes of the pendulum that has been created by the adversary as offensive so that we can immediately be at odds with one another. I wrestle with that. Where does the church sit? doesn't matter where my personal theology sits. Where should the church sit? Is this a church? Is, are we churches that should only exist for whoever the Republican nomination is going to be? No. It's not what Jesus did. Should we be a church that, that takes the Bible and tries to make that fit into the perversion of the culture we live in? It's pretty hard to do that. Because how many of you are going to be calling me to bail you out of jail today when you pick up a stone because you were standing outside Target and you started throwing stones? This is where spiritual maturity comes in. I know the Bible. The Bible says when you do this, you're to be stoned, which means in modern days, we should have nothing to do with you. But there's people who read the Bible so literal in certain situations that they say, hey, Hannah D., you and I, we got ought with each other, so now I'm going to cast you into the mountains in South Oklahoma, and you can't come back until you've done this. Like, that's not spiritual maturity. It's not realizing the context of the Scripture. It's not realizing the precepts, the principles, and the parables, and how they could be applied today in your life. Limiting Jesus to one social justice cause or to one political climate is, is absolutely horrific. And yet we do it repeatedly. Repeatedly. So every person in this room, the over 100 people who are sitting in this room, if we were to sit down and to break bread and we were to ask, you would tell me where you stand on a political spectrum. You would tell me if I asked you where you stand on social justice reform. In any current event we had a conversation, we, we could dialogue about that. But what is a church to do? What are believers to do when there's 100 different opinions? The old joke, how many Jews does it take replace a light bulb and they talk about how they're just all arguing about how they're supposed to actually replace a light bulb and nobody actually just replaces a light bulb well that was seven in that joke what happens when you have hundreds of people in your church from all different points of walk what happens when you look back at how jesus interacted with 12 when Jesus interacted with the 12 and he dined with the 12, how he spoke to Matthew and how he, he, he interacted in the relationship with Matthew, who was very left brain, he was analytical, he was a tax collector, was different than how he spoke to Peter. He didn't treat them in a cookie cutter way. When he met the Samaritan woman, he didn't treat her the same way that he treated Zacchaeus. He met each and every individual where they were at, good and bad so that he could develop a relationship with them that could start the transformation of who they were originally supposed to be, Ephesians 2.10. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is being God. He could see what was predestined inside of them, and he knew the Samaritan woman wasn't walking in that calling. He knew that the disciples at those times were walking in the calling. He knew what the Lord had done. 
But how many times in our churches do we want to project our own personal situations to be a whitewash across all people? Acts 5.29, Peter says, and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. You have to obey God on social justice. You have to obey God on politics. You have to obey God. So what are, what are some of the things that God uses throughout the scripture there? Well, God didn't come in and immediately take down Pharaoh. Everybody wants to talk about Jesus saying, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and render to God what's God's. But God didn't immediately come in and just take down Pharaoh. Inside Egypt, there was homosexuality. There was, there was all kinds of heterosexual issues of the lust of the flesh and greed and money and all kinds of issues. Babylon, Egypt, they were all like America, maybe even worse at that time. He gave them the opportunity to hear and to adjust. And when they finally chose not to, he executed righteous judgment. So how do we, how do we operate as a church in that space today? You have to have respect for where each and other is at. If somebody is in here and they're like one of the hot buttons right now, and we kind of dialogued about this last night, my stepdad and I, I don't understand why there's a backlash with Bud Light. I really don't. It was a bad beer to, become, to begin with. It was horrible tasting. Now, I understand all of a sudden that they go and they do what they did. And, and yes, I think this is a way that you can stand up and you can show your faith and your values and say, I'm not going to participate in that. But the real reason we should have been boycotting Bud Light a long time ago is because it's bad. It tastes bad. It's like tap water. It's just bad. But if somebody else in this room says, hey, I, I like Bud Light. Spiritual maturity is how can you walk with somebody who you do not agree with? Because a lot of times we've matured enough to say, I know not to have this conversation with this person. But we're still thinking about it. It's like, I wish the Lord would set him free. I wish the Lord would deliver him. He is drinking. He is drinking a Bud Light. No, you set him free. Have no expectations of, of trying to project how you walk in justice and righteousness at this part of your journey. And this is where you see Yeshua. He didn't have to come in and say, I'm going to change you overnight. No, he came in and said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. You want to get to the Father, you got to come through me. But you got to do something. You got to make a change in your relationship. Spiritual abuse and religious trauma. One of the greatest underlining issues for spiritual abuse and religious trauma is the fact that the church has become a business. Most people in positions of authority not all. Most people in positions of authority at one point in time or another in their serving in that office will wrestle with fleshly issues. It could be the pride of the office. It could be the, the power that comes with the office. It could be the financials that come with that position. And there's all kinds of testimonies if you want to look at them. We all hear about the negative ones. We hear when somebody falls. 
They make TikToks out of it. They make reels out of it. They publish all these types of things. But where's all the ones with people who actually have come out and they've repented over things? Where's the ones with people who weren't even in trouble? Benny Hinn is a, a prime example. Spent 16 to 17 years in this little corner of Christianity. And Benny Hinn's name was never met with anything popular. Oh, he perverts the Bible. He perverts the power of God. But what about the testimony of the fact that Benny Hinn repented of knowingly doing that and the adjustments that he's made in his life? This is a man who had millions and millions of dollars. He had all kinds of power, all kinds of influence in the the Christian realm. He had no reason in the flesh to come out and speak against that. I shouldn't have done these things. I'm seeing the error of my ways. He's even walking. If you watch anything that's happening in Jesus' image down in Florida, there's some beautiful outpourings of the Holy Spirit happening there. But where's the testimony over a religious leader who was accused of religious abuse and religious trauma, who is now coming forward and saying, I was wrong. We should be rejoicing, just like we should be rejoicing when somebody comes into our congregation and confesses that they screwed up and they need to be restored. If we start rejoicing with people when they start walking and making adjustments in their life, maybe people won't have to live in religious trauma and spiritual abuse. Because one of the greatest issues we see in America is that somehow you believe you need me to be repentant. Somehow you need somebody in this office to walk in your calling. That somehow we need some sort of like mentor, leader, whoever it is, for us to have secret time with the Lord. No. No. You don't need a me to have prayer time with the Lord on the way to the office. You don't need a me to turn on worship and turn off Led Zeppelin. You don't need a me to have those quiet moments in your life. And I got five kids too. I understand how hard that can be. It is possible if you choose to go after it. And when you practice a lifestyle and you walk in church community in a place where you are empowered to have a personal relationship with the Lord— Go back. Talked about the spiritual authority of anything should be the Bible first and foremost. Not the book I'm working on. And no, I'm not working on a book. It's just a metaphor. If the authority is the word of God, and then we walk in a place where you actually are empowered to walk in your life in a relationship with God, then when we come together as a church and as a community, you're not just here because the only way you're going to get a relationship with God is from what I say from this pulpit. And if that's the only reason why you are here, once again, go back and see the four reasons why people leave church. Because I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not smart enough for you to stay in this church if you don't have a relationship with God. I can't fill the spiritual barometer that you need. I was never intended to. No pastor was. We're just a weekly shot in the arm. That's it. We're breaking of bread. Confession is huge in spiritual abuse and religious trauma. And if we had walked for the last couple of years, 10, 20 years, if we had walked in Christianity, allowing more of that to happen, and then locking arms with people who were 
confessing the issues they struggle with, and it had started and stayed in the leadership, we would see more of it in the actual church. But the problem is, is that we created idols out of pastors, out of evangelists, out of all these people, people who, who could teach us something cool about the Bible or could make us feel good about Jesus or yes. And then their sinful nature also came into play. See, the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say for all have sinned except for the pastors or the apostles or the teachers for all of sin. So the expectation when I get a phone call and somebody says, hey, I, I, need, I need to tell you something. It's not like, oh my gosh, are you serious? You're doing what? No, it's like, okay, the Lord wants you to lay it down. And for whatever reason, he's going to allow me to walk with you to lay it down. There's not this TMZ, E! News, Front page of the tabloids. Oh my gosh, somebody stumbled this week. You should expect you're going to stumble this week. The question is, is what are you going to do with the stumble? And are you going to start to make better progress so that the stumbles are less frequent? So that the Lord can put a spirit in you. Now, Cam brought this to my attention this week. And this, this is where I believe our entire community is at right now. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 11. But about brotherly love, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ in here. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. See, one of the main spiritual principles of religious trauma and spiritual abuse is that you do, you do need somebody. But you only need me. Or whoever this me is. Well, Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that we should be raising up people to be leaders, not just to be dependents. This is a problem, though, because most of what our church services have turned into is a recipient type of environment. You come with the expectation, I'm only here to receive. I'm only here to receive. Well, that's Great, but what happens when part of what you are here to receive is the fellowship of the coffee and the donuts, and then when, when the budget doesn't allow for those things and those things go away? Or you're only here to receive because you like the way I teach, but then I'm not the teacher. And so now you go because you're not receiving what it is that you like. We've turned what is like the temple. It is not the temple of God, but like the temple of God where they would gather. We've turned that into something that is no longer about God. It's all about what can we receive. I didn't like the worship music today. Man, I really miss Ian and Alyssa. <sighs> Amy, I need, I need you guys to start publishing in the bulletin when this person or that person is going to preach or lead worship or whatever. supposed to come to this place you're not supposed to come empty-handed you're supposed to come with your resources and that's not just money 
That's the gifts that you have. And you're supposed to come so that we can all come and put the glory upon the one who died on the cross and resurrected from the cross. This should be the center of everything you do when you come to a Saturday church or a Sunday church. It shouldn't be about whether you get coffee or whether you got the greatest this, that, or the other. Or the flags are up. They allowed the flaggers on the stage this week. Praise God. Next week, the flaggers don't come because somebody else is leading worship. No, this is supposed to be a lifestyle, a family. You're supposed to sow into it. You're supposed to do things with each other so that God can be the center. Jesus can be the center of everything. If you do that, the religious trauma and the spiritual abuse should be minimized. And the reason why is because no longer is a church built off one man, two men, three men, four women, five women. It's built off an entire body who has to come together with God at the center. When God is at the center, his word is the final authority. You can question, you can have conversations, you can be together. And you can walk knowing that people got issues. There's some people in this room who know me really, really well. My mom and my stepdad are here. They can tell you literally every drywall patch that they fixed in their house that I punched my hand through. Most of you don't even know me that intimately. Some of you do. But we should get to a point where we walk together with God at the center of our community because we know about our issues. And we know where we can go to get them fixed. Right now, I know who in this room I can call when I struggle with certain things. I know who I can call when I struggle with other things. And they don't have to be the same person. That's the beauty of a family. Spiritual abuse And religious trauma comes when you're only here to meet whatever I want. That's abuse in organizations. That's abuse in ministries. That's abuses in church. God came to empower you. God came so that you would bring your resources to the community. Acts chapter 2 didn't happen because they all came and they were like, oh, Peter, you are so awesome. You gave like this, like just kicking sermon here, bro. Like, I want to follow you, Peter. Even the disciples, when they went out two by two, got into tiffs with each other. And that's why there has to be those different groups Because otherwise, you got Paul standing up and said, I'm the most qualified. I'm the Jew of all Jews. I've accepted Jesus. Y'all bow it to my feet. And you have the same issues that you had with the religious leadership early on. Trauma happens. But if the church is actually doing what God said to do, it should be minimized. It should be minimized. Because when you see somebody who is having an affair with somebody else in leadership of a church, it should immediately be confessed. They should immediately be removed. There should immediately be consequences. And then we should do life with each other the hard way. How do you do life with each other the hard way? Number four, they were abandoned by the church. The easiest thing to do as a leader is when you see deep Trauma, spiritual, emotional, physical trauma in people. It's to say, I'm going to kick you to a counselor. I am a pastor. I'm not equipped to help you with that. And kick them outside. 
Now, sometimes that is the best, that's the best thing to do. Because I may not be qualified to help you. Brent might not be qualified to help you, whatever. But the moment somebody feels abandoned by the church, why do you come to church? Why do you need the community? I needed you. I needed you to pick up the phone. I needed you to pray with me. I needed you to stand in the rain at Pentecost and hear me pour out my heart. I needed you to do this. I needed you to do that. And you weren't there. See to it yourself, as the religious leadership told Judas. Well, what happens when we abandon the fact that we're supposed to do life with each other? We do not walk as a family. Matthew 18, the whole entire process when there is issues in a church, when there's issues in a relationship, anybody who spent any time in that, that's not a short fix. It's not a short fix. Matthew says, hey, look, if you got out with the brother, you're to, go, you're to go and talk with this person. By the way, the scripture also says earlier that you're to go before you bring your offering if you have an issue. If there's sin in your heart, if there's malice with the brother, if there's structure, you're not even to come in here on a Saturday with your offering, whether it's the offering of your time, the offering of your money, the offering of your spiritual resources, whatever it is. You're not even to come in here until you go deal with it. You're not to bring an offering to the Lord until you go to make right your issue with your brother and your sister. Matthew 18 says, go to them. Well, obviously, they knew something that we're learning and continuing to walk through. The first time normally doesn't go well. So then the second time, you're to bring your boys. And when that doesn't work, then you're to bring others. And when that doesn't work, you're going to put them outside the camp. And yet, that's not abandoning them unless we do what we currently do. The moment you put somebody outside the camp, you're not checking on them to bring them back. Everything about the Matthew 18 process should not abandon you from the church. It's about getting you restored to the church. Whether it's your friends, whether it's somebody you don't know that you just met inside the church, everything is about restoration and reconciliation, not about abandonment. But how many times do we stop? Or we say, hey, this is just too hard. Yeah, life is hard. We cannot be a church that immediately shuns individuals for the shortcomings. We should expect the shortcomings and then help them get closer to God for the healing. See, we got, we got it backwards. We get scared. It's like, oh man, that person went to prison for that. That's because that person got caught. How many times did you sin and you didn't get caught? And we get to this place where we're, we're, we're offended or we're scared by the initial sin rather than more interested about how you can help them never be there again. So we create a culture where people don't feel comfortable to walk. So what do we do? We argue, we fight, we debate over Scripture, over whether you're doing it right or I'm doing it right. See, the adversary is pretty cunning. He knows how to twist it. When we should be confessing and healing and allowing the power of God to outpour in our midst, and that should bring us unified just like we saw on Pentecost 
when the fire fell from God. We don't create those environments in our religious circles. And so we spend it on a very superficial level. A wise person once told me, we want so desperately as human beings to be loved and to be liked that we're afraid that if people knew who we actually were, what we are actually struggling with, that they wouldn't like us and so they wouldn't have a relationship with us. So what we do is we present the best version of ourselves that we can to other people and we spend all this time locking away our shame, our sin, our struggles. Sooner or later, we've developed all these fake relationships with people in a community. It comes out. It bottles over. What are you going to do then? Spiritual maturity is recognizing the fact that we are supposed to and put here to walk together. So not only can we heal and we can be empowered from our issues, that we can go out together and we can pack people in the city. And we saw that this past Pentecost. We saw people who I know for a fact who have wrestled with things in their life go out and minister to other people. We saw people who were way outside their comfort zone, myself being included, serve people in environments they were not comfortable doing. That's the New Testament church. That is the beginning of the Messianic Christians that were there. It's not 70 years ago. I was watching the Jesus Revolution as the worship team comes for their last song. I was watching the Jesus Revolution, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I couldn't find the actual quote. But Lonnie Frisbee, and if you haven't watched the movie, look, I'm, again, I'm not a big Christian movie guy. Like, I know Kirk Cameron's out there fighting the good fight in, in all these libraries of that, but like, I, they're just so cheesy. They're just so cheesy. And so I didn't want to watch the Jesus Revolution, but my kids really wanted to watch the Jesus Revolution. And so there's a spot in there where Chuck Smith is talking to Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee is also the guy who plays uh, Yeshua in The Chosen. And perfect. The guy just looks like a hippie, you know, all these kind of things. And Chuck Smith had this really hardcore attitude to, to Calvary Chapel at that time. They, they did the same things. This is the word of God. And they did everything by the book had to be a certain way. And I'm going to paraphrase it. And so when you actually hear it in the movie, it's going to be so much better than my version. But Lonnie Frisbee is talking to Chuck Smith and Chuck Smith doesn't want hippies. He's uncomfortable with that. His daughter's kind of a little bit more on the hippie side, whatever. And he's just really uncomfortable. It's like, these people need Jesus. These people need to cut their hair. These people need to put a polo on with the emblem right here that says who we are. Like, these people need to be cut and dry. Because that's what we do. And in that, there's a holiness. And Lonnie said, you've got thousands of people who are searching for the truth. They don't know what it is. They, they can't necessarily figure out what it is, but they're searching for it. They're searching for it with Janis Joplin. They're searching for it with, with Jimi Hendrix. They're searching for it with, with cocaine or with marijuana or with drugs or experimental. They're searching for it in their sexuality. They're searching for a higher power of truth, and they're searching and they're searching and they're searching, and you actually have it. 
and you're not willing to go help them? You're not willing to go talk to them? See, that spiritual maturity is to understand that if we believe that God has done something in our life and God has given us some sort of truth, that the people we pass every single week, and it's thousands of people you interact with, whether it's on Interstate 35 or it's at your job or it's at the grocery store, or it's on social media, whether you're fixing cars or you're fixing computers or you're, you're working for the military, whatever it is you're doing, you interact with thousands of people every single week. Spiritual maturity helps you understand that those people are searching for something. Some of them, they're searching for love. They're in a broken marriage. They came from a broken home. Maybe they got father issues. Maybe they got mommy issues. Maybe they got all of the above. They're searching for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So you see, God knows how to love. It's a love that surpasses any type of love that anybody else could ever give them. Maybe they're looking for peace. Maybe, maybe they were beat. Maybe that they just have no peace and they've got demons in their head and they got, they got their parents telling them, you're never going to be anything. You're not going to amount to anything. Whatever it is, they, they're looking for peace. Why not give them the Prince of Peace? A peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe that person is you. A part of being spiritually mature is to understand that you can't help somebody if you're not willing to get helped yourself. Don't get me wrong. This isn't some self-help book. This is actually asking you to do what God said to do. Walk a lifestyle that he's commanded you to do. This isn't me. I'm not commanding you to do anything. I don't even have the authority to do that. But maturity is, is to say, okay, I know a lot about God, but I don't experience God. And if I don't experience God, then there's a problem. Because I know a lot about him. And in his word, it says that he should be doing these things. And unfortunately, a lot of these buildings, a lot of these places, when those doors open up, they're more concerned. And we've been too. Don't get me wrong. I've already been on record over the last year that we've, we've repented and gone through that. They're more interested in giving you some wow moment. Man, he really dug that out of the scripture. The jots and the tittles or, or this mystic thing, both sides of those things. A church should be a place where you come together to exalt God, to keep Jesus on the throne, and you should experience his presence here. And if you can't experience it here, then this isn't his house. It's my house. And if you're at my house and all you experience is my presence and my spirit and my things, then you're failed already. A church should be a place where you come together and you understand that the only reason why I'm here is because I needed a Savior. I love my Savior. I'm going to give everything I can this day to this Savior. And whatever He wants to do, I'm going to be okay with it, even if I'm uncomfortable. Church, I'm uncomfortable with healings. I'm uncomfortable with laying on of hands. I'm uncomfortable with some of these things. But God did it. God's doing it. So next week we're going to go through 10 scriptural things we should be seeing in our walk of faith. 
if we're actually walking in spiritual maturity. But I want to leave you with this today, guys. What's one of the greatest songs that's ever been written? Philip, what's, what's, what's one of the greatest songs you can think of? Amazing Grace. Okay. So, Amazing Grace, lyrically, beautiful. It's not like a lot of modern day songs, you know, where it's like, baby, baby, oh. That's a lyrical masterpiece. The greatest English language ever. No, you've got Amazing Grace, which lyrically tells a really beautiful story. If you take the melody out, if you take any of the instrumentation, you take the harmonics out of it, you just read the lyrics as if it was just a poem. Beautiful. I believe Amazing Grace was inspired by God. In the moment of holy anointing. But if I walked into Guitar Center today, I love playing music. I love not coveting over guitars I can't afford to buy. But if I were to walk in today, Landon, do you play guitar? You want to? If I handed you a guitar right now, could you play me Amazing Grace as beautiful as the Oklahoma City Orchestra? Could you play it as beautiful as if the angels in heaven were singing it? Okay, so that's a good, that's good answer. I can, I can use you in the analogy. So if I walked into Guitar Center and Landon is sitting there trying to figure out how to play Amazing Grace. Beautiful song. And I said, I'm never going, that, that song is horrible. I'm never going to hear, I'm never going to listen to it again. That song is just off the charts wrong. It's off the charts bad. It's, oh my gosh, I can't listen to this ever again. Oh, and it ruined this masterpiece of a song because somebody was learning how to play that song. Would I be a spiritually mature individual? Would I be a mentally mature individual? Would I be an emotionally mature individual? No, I would take something that was anointed and inspired by God and I would relegate it to somebody who's learning how to do something. Well, the worth of something that was an anointing and an outpouring of God is in the hands of a teenager learning how to play guitar. And that's the beauty. Okay, so why then do we act like all of us get to dictate the beauty and the power of God? When we walk into an assembly, whether it's a conference, whether it's a church, whether it's whatever, why do we come in and we say, oh, hey, today my shortcomings as a person, as a guy who's on a journey to become more like God, I'm not God, but I'm on a journey to become more like God. Why do we say, well, we can't be here anymore because God's obviously not there because these people don't look like God. You're right, we don't look like God. Because we are God. We actually came here to meet with God. We actually come to these places to experience God so he can transform us to make us more like God. So when we walk through the doors, our expectations should be that we're literally reading being like Jesus 101 for dummies every day. I don't care how much of the scripture you know. I don't know how how many years you've been practicing your faith. You can't project who God is on the apprentices who are trying to become like him. And you also can't take the most glorious God and try to relegate him to Chris Frankie or to Stephen Drews or to Trollin. And yet we do it. We do it all the time. 
I can't go to a church that's full of hypocrites. Yeah, it is. Well, I can't go to church. There's a lot of broken people who, who struggle with their relationship with God. Yes, 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 that's exactly what it is. You should be more wor- worried and more wary of the places that walk in and say, we got it all together. Because the religious leadership in the time of Jesus, they had it all together from the outside in. And what did they do? They experienced God face to face and they killed him for it. They killed him for it. Because they had to protect what was their thing. They had to protect what was their thing. As you come to the church, whether it's house church on Wednesdays or it's, it's Saturday church, You can rest assured, I am not God. I don't have it all put together. But I know where to go to find the answer. And that's God. And my job is to empower you to do the same thing. Look, I'll try to answer any question I can. I'll try to walk through anything I can for you. But at the end of the day, the greatest thing I can do for you is to encourage you and push you to walk in a personal relationship with Jesus. The greatest thing I can do as a pastor, the greatest thing I can do is say, hey, look, let's go pray about it. I believe God wants to give you an answer. God is doing some some really cool things in this church. Over the last year, we started focusing on the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 four main elements. We're going to do that here after service today. We're going to break bread with each other. And in that time, he's walked us through various different ways that we can take what we've learned about God and we can actually put them into motion in how we approach God with our walk, with our talk, with how we think, how we interact. And I believe what we saw this past week at Pentecost, when we saw people running forward to be baptized, when we saw people who were getting healed, when we saw people who were breaking down and confessing their sins, asking for prayer for drug addictions, asking for prayer for, for the adultery they had committed on their wife, asking for prayer for not being there and being selfish for their children. And these are people who are in a park. They live in a park. When you see these types of things, God is moving. For the glory of his name's sake and his name's sake alone. And if God is moving, that means that we should be seeking as a community to grow in our maturity of not only understanding the word of God, but understanding how we are to walk in the spirit of God. And it's through the Lord transforming our hearts and transforming those areas that we we can become better 21st century apprentices of Jesus. And there's no greater calling on anybody's life than that. None. I don't care how much butt you kicked at karate. I don't care how amazing you have a guitar player or piano player. You might have been the best lawyer ever to walk on the face of the earth. There's no greater calling than becoming a better apprentice of Jesus Christ. Genesis to Revelation, a new creation. As the lights get turned down, as they, they sing this song, I want to challenge you again today, church. 
if you hold on to things in your heart, if you hold on to areas of struggle in your life, those seeds will grow. They will squash and kill out the seeds and the power of what God wants to do in your heart and your mind. And so I know for some of you, this is like real churchy. Like, hey, look, there's an altar time. And like, hey, we're not really comfortable with that. I don't care if you come to the altar. I don't care if you sit in your seat. I don't care if you go into a corner. I don't care what you do. As long as you take an opportunity to focus yourself back into the Lord and allow the Lord to speak to you and say, is there anything in your life that you need to remove from your life? And you give him the opportunity to actually do something Because too often during your work week, there's too many other distractions. And the greatest thing I can do as a pastor for you, outside of pushing you back to the Word of God, is to push you to actually talk and try to hear and experience God. And so as they sing, you won't relent today, he won't relent. I don't care if you give him 25, 35, 75% of your heart. He wants all your heart. He wants all your life. He wants everything you have because everything you have is his. You literally are his tithe, his offering, whether you like it or not. Now, you can squander it or you can walk in it. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, your Son, Yeshua. Lord, I thank you that for your name's sake, you have continued from Genesis to Revelation and even into today, Lord, to keep your covenants, to keep your promises. Lord, just like at Sinai, when you gave the Torah to Moses, and just like in the book of Acts, when you poured out your spirit, Lord, we are witnessing you do amazing things in the feast cycle. And so, Lord, in this space between the spring feast and the fall feast, we don't want to go backwards. We don't want to take a spiritual vacation, Lord. We want to continue to press in to you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would continue to move, that you would continue to heal, that we continue to see miracles and signs and wonders, that we continue to see repentance, that we continue, continue to see freedoms, that we continue to see your power move mightily. Restore marriages, restore brokenness, remove lusts, greeds, prides, arrogance, Lord. Set captives free that they could turn from slaves into bond servants, Lord. For we love you, we bless you, and we praise you in this place. In the name of Yeshua, amen and amen.